Welcome to Zooming In, a show about the lives and feelings of regular people who are like you and me, people seeking connection and love, people who are just muddling along trying to be human. I'm your host, Sison Kim Simang. In part one of this story, we heard about how Marta and Tadeo grew up, fell in love, got married, and started a family in Chinameca, El Salvador. All of this happened before the Salvadorian Civil War, which began in late 1979. The war led to the family leaving their beloved home a few years later, and they headed for a place far, far away, Perth, Western Australia. In part two, we're going to hear from Raf, their youngest child, who was still in his mom's tummy when the family left El Salvador. He's Australian born and raised with strong Salvadorian roots. I think my earliest memory was about, I was at about two or three, I think. That's when I think as far as I can remember. I know that there was a lady named Barbara who passed away a few years back, but um, she was very kind to my family. And like, she offered to, because the rent that my parents were paying was like, oh, well, I can lend you uh, one of my houses in Palmyra. So, um, okay, we can live there for a bit. But the earliest memories of me waking up in the mornings, and I think I was like probably having my early sugar highs because I think back then I was allowed to have like cocoa pops or rice bubbles. I think my mom was okay with those, but Fruit Loops was like out of the question. <laughs> but I think my earliest memories as well was Fremantle because I think that was the area that my mom would, or my, my dad, when because he didn't have a work job at the time, he would take me to spend the day in Fremantle. Even I just remember, even a song, sometimes music I associate to, because it helps me remember it, but it was a cover of Casey and the Sunshine Band's uh, Give It Up, but made from the band Cut and Move, because it was very Euro dance and all. But that, that song I always associate to my earliest memories. Like many migrants, Raf's parents left their careers behind in their home country. Raf's dad was especially affected by leaving. You see, he had been a doctor. Yeah, my dad, he couldn't, he struggled because of, he, unlike my mom, he had a struggle with his language barrier because he struggled the most. I mean, he tried. I mean, these days he's fine. But um, back then it was a big struggle because while I was born, I think back and forth, my parents had to also take up English classes so um, my dad, he even had this one-year job as a gardener at Adros Primary, but it wasn't for him. And so he went back and forth up until I was a teenager, and then he got a job as a carer. When we asked Tadeo about this, he told us that he sat the exam, which would have allowed him to practice as a doctor in Australia three times. But because of his English, he failed each time. Eventually, he decided that he needed a new plan. He still wanted to be productive and contribute to the new country he was in. And, of course, he needed to earn money. So he tried work as a gardener. But it wasn't easy moving from using your hands to operate to using them to cut the grass. He was fired from his job from being so bad at gardening, something that he and Marta laugh about now. As Raf said, he went on to be a carer for people living with disabilities, which is a really admirable job and one that Tadeo really enjoyed but it's clear when you talk to him that moving here forced him to give up a lot of his former identity. Language played a pretty big role across the family's story. I struggled a lot because it was both my language barrier, but at the same time, I didn't know about what was my autism. It was like, 
in terms of socially, I was social around a lot of people, but I was sus about some people, but also I also did my own thing. And a lot of people who know me, who knew, who know me, if they're, if they're hearing this, is that I had a habit of talking to myself a lot. Like I was alone. If there was a movie I remember loved watching, I'd be re-quoting it back like throughout the whole day, like spending time on my own. A lot of people were concerned, but because I, at the time I didn't know about what I was. But that's, again, because most of my childhood has become a bit fuzzy to me because it's only the only things that are, whatever songs were on at the time, whatever movies I went to see or, uh, or anything that specifically important that I would know so well. The family mainly spoke Spanish at home. The reason why most of my childhood was a bit fuzzy was because I think I was like three and a half going into four that's when I think I started to struggle with both languages because before I was actually fluent. I was fluent in both languages. Like I even do this prayer like before dinner, like that's why my dad does it because they thought it was cute because like my Spanish wasn't that good because I was still learning. I think, yeah, then at some point it's like for some weird reason, it's like I stopped, like I was starting to regress and it was like I was regressing and to a point of mutism, like, I didn't speak anything. It was like I couldn't speak properly. And then so around that time they found out about my speech problem was probably around the same time they found out about my autism. When Raf started seeing speech pathologists and psychologists, they thought maybe it was a mix of Spanish and English that was confusing him. In the end, that doesn't seem to have been the issue. Instead, they realized he had autism. In primary school, he got lots of support. He was placed in a class where he was able to make lots of friends. But when he moved to a mainstream high school, it was harder to make friends. He struggled at first, but then Raf found a way of getting through. I remembered this one particular memory was in year, it was, I was in year nine. It was the first period health class. So I don't remember what we were learning that day, but I think we got too sidetracked. I think there was something that people have known was that I had a penchant for making a, making, changing my voice a little bit. This is a trick that I learned from my sisters, well, was that I could um, <clears throat> do this to my voice. <laughs> and and when I did this particular laugh, and it was like, for some reason, the kids, one kid said, hey, that sounds like Crossy the Clown laugh. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can see if I can pull this off. And then I did the, <clears throat> hey, kids. <laughs> And oh my God, that's like, perfect. <laughs> I remembered that when I did that the first time, every kid in my class was like laughing their heads off. And I was like, oh, wow. And I like, they definitely do it again. And it's like, I did it. I think it was by recess. I think I was like, I heard it's like, oh my God, rap, it's rap. And it's like, everyone was rushing to me. It was like, what? And I was like, do it again. My friend hasn't heard it yet. Do it again. And I was like, I think it was ever since I did that, it has been, well, mostly bullying free for me. Like I got to like, my, my ride around high school was like very easy. Well, not easy, but at least there was less of the, you know, like, you know, like people being dicks to me. So I don't think I really had many best friends. I had mostly acquaintances and maybe because I don't know what it was, but I, there were people I hanged out with, but in terms of 
I mean, there have been times that some would, you know, hang out with me at some point, but maybe at some point they must have thought I was a bit of a weirdo or something. They're thinking I'm more of a freak in some ways. Though if I'm, if that's cool, that's fine. I remember that though, graduation, we, they hosted our graduation at UWA. And I remember that when my name came up, I heard like this big applause or something like, it's like, wait, me? And I was like, and I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you. I was like, I, I was completely thrown off by that. It's like, I didn't think I, I thought I was just, just that one kid who could do that one voice. And it's like, and it turns out it, I was a little bit popular than I thought. Outside of school, Raph would often spend time with his sisters. The siblings have always been really close. Anna is 11 years older than me. And Raquel, she's eight years older than me. Those two have been uh, very, have been there for me since, ever since I was born. I mean, I always remember what my sisters were like um, when I was growing up. It's like when I was in the 90s, both my sisters' taste in music kind of influenced me. Like on my oldest sister, Anna's side, um, you would, I would remember seeing posters of like The Doors and uh, um, Jeff Buckley, all the indie and uh my other sister, she had like uh, Tupac, Biggie Smalls, uh, Michael Jackson, and uh, Salt and Pepper. Uh, like they had different tastes, and also in terms of clothing, like Raquel, she was the fly girl, like sort of like a B girl type. My other sister, she was like Darlene from Roseanne. They were a really tight knit family, and even though they loved life in Australia, they still kept their Salvadorian traditions truly alive. My dad has that little um, shrine, that altar, with all the, you know, the um, religious, like, if, mostly the angels, uh, the figgy. And he lights candles, doesn't he? He lights candles. He always, especially when he's concerned for us or he's trying to make sure that we're safe, he always lights a candle. Also, like, if something good or big is happening for us, like if we're going to a job interview, it's like, or uh, like hoping, you know, praying for luck or praying for, you know, like for good outcomes, he would always light a candle for the altar. It's like to, to make sure either we're okay or that we're safe. You can probably see why it was such a big deal when Raf moved out of home. He was the baby of the family and everyone was protective over him. Home was his refuge. The family hadn't stayed in Hamilton Hill. They moved to Atwell when Raf was much younger. And this is the house Raf grew up in. And it's also the house he moved out of in 2020, right before Perth went into its first lockdown. He moved into an apartment in a suburb close by. But... It was a very bittersweet experience. I mean, if it was for some people, it would be like, oh, yeah, moving out. It's like, great. It's like, I get to do whatever I want, blah, blah, blah. I think for me, it was because maybe it was a mixture of a few things. I mean, yes, there was the backdrop of the pandemic. But I think it's because it's something I remembered from what my dad pointed out. He, he was told this story one time when he used to be a gardener at Adros. Like, th that was the job he was trying to get in order to get by at the time. And I think the person he was working under, like, they said, oh, it's like, normally our, because our, another family friend of ours, who is our family doctor, um, they were both working in the work, like, both both men were working there with under some guy who was Aussie. And they were talking about, oh, like, my kid's, like, moving in. It's like, but our family friend, um, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Galvez, René, as I know him, 
he uh, said, oh, because my oldest daughter is still with us. Like, I was like, why, are you, why didn't you kick them out yet? And it's like, well, we don't do that. That's not what we do. So getting back to that question is that I think it's, that's the one thing that made us different was that we don't force our kids out. We actually just let them get them a chance to, you know, as long as they have, because they have a security blanket. So I think that's why I probably was reluctant about going out yet. Here's the thing, um, with the apartment, I only call it my apartment or my flat, because the thing is, Atwell um, is my home. I always call it my home. So even if I'm saying, oh, I'm just going to go to mom and dad's, but it's, it's, I'm just saying going home, because that's, that's home to me, because that's been home to me since I was um, 13. So it's, uh, that's important to me. And it's been the longest um, home that I remember. And uh, I don't know why I'm getting teary about that, but uh, I think it's just, it's weird because I think, yeah, Atwell, like that's how I identify where I'm from because I didn't really have many at a permanent address uh, up until I was 13. So to me, even if I, one day, if I ever get kicked out of my apartment because it's a strata home, I always know that at least I'm not going to be without a roof over my head because I know my parents are nearby, so... I can go home. From Chinameca, El Salvador to Perth, Western Australia, Raf's family has covered a lot of ground. Although the family is a lot bigger now, with a few extra members, one thing remains the same. The Gonzalez family will always make home wherever they find themselves together. This podcast was produced by the Centre for Stories on Wajak Noongar Buja in Western Australia with generous funding from Lottery West. The Centre for Stories believes in storytelling as a way to build more inclusive communities. Special thanks to our storyteller for this episode, Rafa. And to our production team, executive producer, Cara Jensen-McKinnon, audio engineer, Mason Velios, scripting and interviewing by Sison Kim Simang and Claudia Mancini. Head to centerforstories.com to listen to more stories or to make a tax-deductible donation. Thanks for listening.